Alrighty. Uh, well, let's go ahead and uh, get this thing going. Um, my name is James Curry, and I'm a technology advocate here at Microvelum. And just want to say welcome and thank you to everyone for joining our Microvelum Exchange event. So these events are not demonstrations or presentations, uh, nor are they intended to be training opportunities. Uh, they're designed to be a platform for you to engage and interact with each other uh, to discuss industry trends and microbellum. Um, and joining us today is Ryan Kinnaman of UTIC and also member of our user advocacy group. Ryan, how are you doing today? Uh, very well, thank you. So, I'm not too bad. Doing all right. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, so before we jump into things, I uh, just want to quickly run over some basics for using Teams if you're not quite familiar with it. Um, so everything you need basically is in the top right corner of the window. Uh, so from left to right, there's the show participants icon. Clicking that will show you everyone who's joined the event. Uh, after that is the chat icon, which will open up the chat window so you can comment and ask questions. Uh, next is the raise hand icon. Uh, you can click that if you'd like to jump into the conversation or ask a question. Uh, next, the three little dots, that's the more icon. Uh, this contains various settings that you can change, including audio and video. Uh, following that are the camera, mic, and share screen icons. Um, so first off, if you have a camera, uh, please turn it on. We'd love to see you. Uh, next, uh, to help ensure that we're not all talking over one another, uh, please make sure your microphones are muted until you're ready to speak. Uh, and then uh, unmute mute yourself again, sorry, uh, once you've finished talking. Uh, I would also advise uh, as you speak for the first time, please introduce yourself. Uh, give us your name, uh, company name, and job title, and whatever else you'd like to share about you. Uh, lastly, if you feel inclined to share your screen, please do. This is, event is yours, and I want to encourage you to participate in any way you'd like. All right, so let's go ahead and get this event going. As I mentioned earlier, we have Ryan Kinnaman joining us. Uh, Ryan, do you mind giving us a little introduction about you? Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the industry and with Microvellum. Yeah, sure. We, um, I started my apprenticeship back in 2009 when I finished my HSC. Um, yeah, a wood machining apprenticeship. Um, I always sort of knew that I wanted to do something in IT and something in timber, but wasn't sure exactly which direction to take. This job popped up and I thought that's, Combining best of both worlds. So I started on the floor, worked there for about three to four years, and then sort of started working my way into the office. So I was doing a lot of AutoCAD stuff, um, some programming stuff in Visual Basic, and then there was an opportunity to to move upstairs. So I sort of jumped at that. And, um, yeah, I was running IMOS. Many people have heard of that. It's not as well known as Microvellum. Um I think I was on that for about three, about three, four years. Then we, um, 
we're standing, uh, there's a few changes down on the machine floor. And we were sort of thinking about, all right, where are we going to go with software? IMOS wasn't pretty, just wasn't up to the cut, basically. So we started looking at a few places. Uh, we had a meeting with a few people and we ended up moving to Microvellum, obviously. Um, one of the sales reps that used to work for Microvellum used to work here doing this job before I did. So George. So we sort of got him out one day and then, yeah, we looked at them into Microvellum. It was Excel based, which was perfect because, you know, I have pretty decent skills in that. So it was a good fit. We already knew AutoCAD, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, so we've been on Microvellum for two to three years now. We've got sort of two years, built up a library, and then here we are. Still on mute there, James. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to say uh, thank you again for, for being here, Ryan. And uh, all right, so why don't we get this uh, conversation started, shall we? So our main topic for today's event is one that's affected just about everyone in the world. And it's one that's recently had a lot of buzz and feedback on our community forums. And it's no doubt that COVID-19 has impacted the world in a way we've never experienced um, from shutdowns and lockdowns. And it, it's rocked the world and forces all to do things differently. Um, and while some markets have struggled, others have thrived in a COVID economy and that's what we're here to discuss today. We want to hear from all of you uh, about what you're doing to keep chugging along in this COVID crazy world. Um, and so that'll bring us to our first question. Um, so between lockdowns, mandates, and whatever else you've had to face during times uh, that have forced you to change the way you normally work and do things, uh, what have you been able to do to overcome the challenges of changing from your normal operations? I'm happy to jump in here. Um, for us, nothing really changed. Um, we we started looking into to working remotely um, and sort of it got to a point where we were down to three days a week. There wasn't that much work on. It was going to start working remotely and then everything sort of just kicked back up. So we started again and now we're into this second wave. I feel the commercial side of things has definitely peaked up. Um, the first time it hit, residential just started going nuts. You know, kitchen, more obviously they were doing everything, but the commercial furniture sort of it just went very quiet. Whereas this sort of second wave, yeah, it's starting to, it feels like it's starting to be the other way around a little bit. Residential, not as much and commercial a bit more. I don't know. About other people there probably got an opinion on that yeah love to to hear from from others uh you know what kind of how you've been able to overcome those challenges uh, from covid we've got 102 people in this meeting i'm sure uh, somebody's got to have something to say right Let's see what we've got. I guess I'll touch on it. 
hopefully you can hear me. Um, yeah, we were, we're in multiple offices anyway. And quite honestly, we were, many of our meetings were remote or with other uh, offices. So as much as we saw or were impacted much as you described, our day to day interaction actually didn't change much. We were almost set up, um, for several years actually to be in a good position to work remote. Um, so that was kind of our impact. It was, it was interesting to not have that face to face time with coworkers. I would say that was certainly a, uh, took some adjustment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, so for, for others out there, uh, you know, maybe who weren't set up, uh, kind of from a remote, uh, environment like you, um, what, what other kind of work from home, uh, procedures have, have companies been able to implement? Any takers? I'll chime in. Once okay. I start talking, though, you'll have a hard time shutting me up. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was kind of a phase thing for us. I think we were already, you know, similarly working towards that. We have kind of a scattered workforce, but uh, we definitely had to accelerate our our plans at the beginning of COVID, you know, we right away within a week, it was like, okay, this thing's getting serious and we needed to make sure that everybody was able to work remote or we only had a portion of our people that were full-time remote at that point. Um, but fortunately before that we had actually started, um, we already had been collaborating with kind of uh, outsourced partners and people that would help us when we were in drafting and doing and work for us more on a contract basis. So we already had the kind of need to be able to um, work outside of our network, essentially. Um, and so we had engaged Microvelement um, to uh, first build us uh, a custom plugin that allowed us to merge different versions of the same project into one. Um, and the reason was, is we were, setting up a project and somebody was either working on it on their SQL CE at home or we would have a contractor working on it. Um, and we would need to be able to take two versions. You know, we were still working on that same project internally, for example, and then they were adding rooms to it and doing more work. So we needed to be able to merge them back into one project. So um, I don't know if everybody knows this, but, you know, Microvelm has the ability to make custom plugins. And so we engaged um, the development team there to build uh, a plug-in just for us that, that made that possible. Um, so that was the first thing. Unfortunately, we had started that process before, and we've really made use of that through this, through COVID, is, is we basically right away just said everybody needs to go from work from home, and very quickly, if we didn't have them able to remote into something on site, we were able to have them work from their local configuration, you know, sort of like a sandbox or if you if you guys work off network. Um, and then from there, we kind of did this year further realized, okay, this is kind of, this isn't a temporary thing anymore. This is our new model. This is like, we were able to recruit and uh, use it kind of to our benefit to say, Hey, we're not stuck to only hiring engineers where our shops are, um, wherever they are, we'll make it work. And so uh, we developed, had a work with microphone to develop a new plugin that actually works through VPN to be able to check in and out rooms and projects from our server. So 
you're working on a local configuration and you can actually access the server configuration projects and say, I want that room and it checks it out to your local and then merges it back in. Um, and we actually, um, that has just kind of opened things up to us another level. So we've kind of taken this as, okay, this is our new normal. How do we make this new normal work? You know, uh, and our people can work from wherever they're at. So we've been kind of taking that path and, okay, let's, let's make this as, as, uh, kind of functional as possible, um, while maintaining our data. Nice. So I'm sure you've probably got, uh, quite a standard operating procedure to ensure that everything, all the data is going where it needs to go and, and nobody's working on, on top of one another. Can you maybe explain a little bit what you, what you got going on there? Yeah. So, um, uh, we, we definitely had to put some best practices and kind of standard operating procedures in place. And, and fortunately we had one of our teams that had a bit of this in place beforehand because we already had some people work on remote. And so the first, I guess, basic step that I think applies to everybody is if you're importing and exporting projects regularly, um, and you're kind of taking projects back from the server, um, to local and putting it back is always, always having an SOP that says, okay, how do we know who has a project and where it's at and how does it get back in there? So the first is obviously database management was a huge step forward and that's a year or two now back, but I don't know if everybody remembers before the database management interface, it was a lot more difficult. So that opened things up for us now to be able to say, okay, here's how you export a project. We define how do we name the project file. It's going to get put in that zip folder. And so we had an SOP for how you name it, including something in the name that said, like, for example, from server and then from local. So we always knew if it was going to or from. And then we designated a place in our, uh, for us, it was SharePoint, but this could be in your server or Dropbox, wherever. You have a designated kind of check-in, check-out folder. And so um, that was kind of the first, like, beta level of everything of just the simplest. Okay. If you're going to export it, delete it so that it's not sitting there and somebody can edit it from the server, for example, if somebody's working on a local and then it always has to get put back in and there's a designated kind of gatekeeper for that. Nice. And and I like how how you described basically uh, an organic progression. You know, it started out as a local transfer, um, you know, taking it out of the server, working on it on your local computer, then putting it back in. And I just want to make sure that, you know, everybody understands that that is an option. Uh, if you're trying to look for ways that you can continue to work remotely, um, you know, there is that method. There's also, um, you know, other methods like logging in using a, a remote desktop or a team viewer. And I'd be interesting or interested to know, um, what, what others who are maybe using that type of setup are doing right now. So, uh, whoever would like to share their, their approach, I'd appreciate it. We, um, used RDP VPN and remote desktop primarily. Um, but I have talked, I don't know on this call, but I know a lot of users do tend towards team viewer. Yeah, I know, I know myself, 
uh, back at the company I used to work for, um, TeamViewer came in handy for being able to do that. And it wasn't nearly to the extent the, that we, you know, people have had to use it during, uh, these times. I mean, at that time it was, um, you know, if I went on vacation somewhere and had to jump on real quick to process something and get it out to the shop, you know, I could do that. But, um, that was really kind of the extent that we used it at that point. Um, I'd also like to maybe, um, see if there's anybody, uh, in this, in this meeting that, uh, is maybe using a, a virtual or cloud-based, uh, database system and what kind of pros and cons um, are there with that? Starting to wonder if maybe it was too early in Australia. We're not getting a lot of a lot of chit chat on here. Still off asleep. <laughs> We, All right, well, oh, okay. I was just going to say, we, we looked into it. That was going to be our plan. If if we did have to move remotely, um, I assume that TeamViewer, with the internet the way it is at our workplace here, it's quite slow. So we uh, we were going to look at taking off a local copy of the database, basically putting it on a, a local PC or laptop for my home, and I was pretty much just going to work from there and then export any projects we get if we need to bring them back into the library when we came back in later on. And that was pretty much going to be the plan. And obviously that didn't eventuate. All right. Awesome. So I'm looking over at the, at the chat here. Um, we've got uh, a, a few responses coming in uh, with that. Um, Jackson is saying uh, he's found any desk to run smoother than, than team viewer. looks like we've also got a few who are, Using a Google remote or Chrome remote. Um, it's nice to see that we've, we're getting a, a variety of, um, of answers on, on this. So sweet. Yeah. So if, if you're not, if you don't have the chat window up and would like to see some of those other responses, make sure that you, uh, click to open that up. Um, do you want to, you know, move on to maybe our next question here? So I know that. Many companies were caught off guard when all this hit and either found themselves uh, ill-equipped uh, or whatever to handle and adapt the challenges. So what investments um, have you made in order to adapt and continue working? So has anybody maybe invested in a little more automated uh, machinery? I know, you know, out in the shop, it's easy to, not easy, but um, there there are companies that maybe have a material handling system that uh, maybe has helped uh, eliminate too many people. If your regulations in your area have, have prevented people from coming in and working. Any takers? Um, I will say that we we have invested in um, 
temperature taking systems. I think more related to COVID is automated. Like basically it's a little tablet on a podium that screens, scans people's faces and checks your temperature and says you're good to go or not. So, and we've gotten a single point of entry at our facility. So as far as kind of keeping people working, keeping people healthy and trying to stay ahead of that, that was definitely a big and general protocols around, around that here in the States, at least. All right. It looks like uh, one of the responses on the on the chat here is that uh, the automated uh, file transfer um, to process CNC files. So um, I don't know if you'd like to elaborate on that or share a little bit more. I'd love to uh, get some more face to face as much as we can uh, participation if we if we can. Okay, so here, here's something on the um, on the chat that just popped up that I was I was kind of curious about. So Jackson says uh, they're fairly lucky where they are. Um, we're classed as essential workers. Uh, never stopped uh, going into the workplace. Uh, how, how has that affected people? I mean, what what areas or regions have have maybe you been considered not essential, and and what kind of steps? Have you taken to continue working if you've been considered non-essential? <clears throat> Raymond, would you like to go ahead and... Uh, oh, yeah, I just mentioned something. G'day, James. Uh, G'day. Yeah, from, um, from down in, in Australia, New South Wales, Victoria is pretty crazy. It's not so bad up in Brisbane. Uh, but w- since COVID started, we've had a lot of requests to uh, to get... Um, users set up remotely. So remote changing their setup on their laptops to remote configuration. And then that certainly helps them. They can work from home and then VPN in. Yeah. So that, I mean, we do get a lot of that. Um, so if anyone needs that, just let us know. We can sort that for you. Um, log a ticket, contact and discuss. Yeah. Crazy times. Safer than um, going in the office. Yeah. So it's certainly doable. Yeah. Um, just make sure you do regular backups, people. A lot of crypto virus um, hits happening out there, ransomware. Please do your backups regularly every week. If you lose it and get hit with the crypto virus during this COVID time, um, yeah, you can be in a lot of pain. With lost so, so COVID's not the only virus people got to look out yeah, for? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, just touch base with your account manager and we can help you up to set you up remotely. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I know some of the other problems companies are facing are material shortages and rising prices along with uh, long lead times. So I mean, what, what, what have you been able to, to do to keep up with your supply and demand when the supply and demand for materials has been a challenge? Personally with us, we've been pretty lucky. We haven't had too much issue. Um, I believe there was a bit of a whiteboard shortage, which is probably the most common material used here. We had probably a while back and we could only get certain size sheets. Um, we, we were pretty lucky that we were already using that particular size sheet. 
Uh, I know certain companies around here that were, they were using the sheet that was not available, so they had to pretty much change all their, their work practices to, to suit these new sheet sizes, sort of ruin their flow a bit. Um, yeah. So did, did any of that um, require maybe you to look at other vendors um, as well? I believe so. So Laminex and Polytech, as far as I'm aware, they're, they're the two biggest ones in Australia. Um, I'm pretty sure Polytech were the ones that had the issue with the, the size board. They didn't have it. And the company that I know of in particular, they all moved to Laminex and they tried to get the, the same size sheets that we use. They ended up trying to buy some from us because they couldn't get it from Laminex, uh, from Polytech, whoever it was. Uh, but I, I've, I've heard a big struggle too has been uh, hardware. Uh, obtaining hardware. Um, yep. So how how are you overcoming challenges like that? We're pretty lucky. We um we've got a few suppliers that all have pretty similar items. Obviously, I'm sure that's the same everywhere. Um, quite often we'll go to one, they won't have anything available. So then we've got to look at moving to a different supplier, which obviously changes everything in microvolume if it's not set up for that. Um, so. For instance, I've been looking at the new foundation library that uh, Jamie built, and I saw that there, there's quite a few sub-assemblies there that have a heck of a lot more you know, draw boxes built in, all the different uh, headaches, halfway, all that kind of thing, um, all ones that we haven't got in our particular library. So I started looking into bringing them in, so when this happens, we've got something that we can just click a button and then away she goes straight into the nice. next That's awesome. Um Let's see. What, what about um, trying, to, trying to think of, uh, you know, as far as overcoming these supply and demand challenges? I, I know in our event last last month, we actually talked quite a bit about this. It was uh, the main topic of our last event. Um, but I know some of the uh, some of the things companies were doing. Um, were to have their purchasing managers or their purchasing department, you know, try and work out deals with with suppliers on on things and try and get uh, their foot in the door and a stronghold on with that company or with that supplier. Um, I mean, has anybody kind of taken those same kind of steps in this meeting today? Our uh, our supply chain. Um, did a couple things. Uh, you know, one, they basically went to all our suppliers and kind of had them sort of compete with each other and, and basically set up a program where we said, okay, here, we're going to designate preferred suppliers for things. And so, I mean, for us, we were able to kind of leverage our volume um, and kind of give them some numbers, say, hey, here's here's what we typically buy of this type of item in a year. Um you know, hinges, for example, across our, our, our manufacturing locations, but, um, went to them and, and, and that was the kind of the first patch they did. And then more recently, recently, you know, they've been tracking data, obviously, um, over the course and see, okay, how is price, how have prices been going up to be able to feed that to our estimating and sales team. Um, and then trying to use that to equip our project managers as well to go back on existing contracts and say, Hey, look, you know, we sold this a year ago when prices were this and here's what they are now. So is there anything, you know, you, you can do as a GC to get more money from the client on specifically on materials based on 
hey, look, this is outside of our control. So, um, uh, collecting real data to be able to show this is outside our control. This is what we're working on. Yes, we signed a contract at this price, but here's what's changed since then. And so trying to work with the GC and then also saying, look, I, you know, we're not just trying to put pull money out of you, but we want to be able to deliver this project and we don't want to have any issues with getting it to you on time still, but we have to go get this material at this price or here's an alternate we could offer and still stay in, in budget. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what, uh, you or any others. Now, I, I know when I was at a, at a shop, our price lock guarantee was for three months. We guaranteed our pricing for that much. Now, I know that's had to have changed since I left. Um, but I'm curious, you know, in times like this right now, what have you changed your, your kind of price lock guarantee to, or have you? I think it's like 30 days now. 30 days. That's pretty, pretty extensive. I've, I've heard to the extremes 24 hours in, in some places. Now I'm not sure exactly the, the market that they're dealing with. I think 24 hours is pretty, uh, that, that's pretty tight. But, um, you know, what, what are some others, uh, doing out there that, uh, as, as far as price lock guarantees? Uh, sorry, oh. um, oh, I, deal with, I deal with this slightly differently. Um, I actually come from a main contracting background where I'm a quantity surveyor and I deal with a lot of, a lot of the issues you're talking around with clients. The, the price fixing is a particularly difficult one. Um, because with COVID, it doesn't necessarily give you grounds to go back and be able to seek any cost increases. It's obviously a risk to projects. With fixing prices, I mean, generally we would say if you, if you get 30 days in Australia, you're, you're still doing quite well. What you're finding is a lot of people, they may put a price in, but they'll actually pull out rather than honour a price. You know, if there's significant increases rather than going through the ringer on actually honour, you know, honouring or trying to find alternatives, you get to the point where you just, people don't answer the phones any longer. You know, you have a tender that comes in, it's just too hard to deal with. Um, I think the supply thing, there was ma- major issues probably six months ago. It seems to have settled down a little bit now. Uh, commercial space has certainly picked up quite a bit. And I think we're getting a little bit smarter about what's actually being specified now, where people are cognizant of, of the materials that are available and they're recognizing you know, the pitfalls that we've had. And you're tending to find that architects are listening to us a little bit more in how they're approaching things. Uh, digressing a little bit, but that would generally be some of the experiences that we're finding that kind of flows back down um, to some of the guys that are actually, you know, putting the bids in and manufacturing the stuff. All right. Um, no, that was that was awesome. I actually had uh, some questions that kind of revolved around that um you know you, you mentioned people either backing out of a uh, project or a contract um have you seen maybe where they've just kind of postponed it and kind of suspended it for a time to be like okay well let's let's wait and see uh what price of materials does um absolutely absolutely in the next few months 
stuff. So, some of the more commercial developments, yes, we're definitely seeing some some generally shelved, some generally being backed out for six months, for 12 months. There's been a few hotel developments and things around about South Australia where you got to the point where the clients were literally signing up and then when COVID hit and just with the prices coming through, I deal with a number of different uh, different industries. One specifically is the steel industry. And, you know, what, what we're seeing in the, in the cabinet making industry is, is complex enough. When you look at commodities and the way they're fixing them, your 24 hours is a valid point. You know, with some steel, steel mills, we were getting steel increases through two, three, four times a week. You were forecasting, you know, the price of steel going from 1800 to three, three and a half thousand bucks a ton purely just for the supply. And we heard similar things with whiteboard and things like that, you know, at the start of this, where people just physically couldn't get anything. So, you know, you had people putting alternatives through, putting veneer boards and things through to honour a project rather than, you know, taking, you know, taking the hit and not being able to get the raw materials. So there's certainly been a major impact on the flow projects. Yeah. So with, with the flow of projects, are you concerned at all about uh, a backlog of work that, you know, could kind of all just come at you at once? Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's the same across the entire construction industry in Australia. And right now there's probably been never been a better time for someone to enter construction. <laughs> which is a little bit ironic, you know, from from all the warnings that came initially with it. You know, if you've got a kid of apprenticeship age, don't go to uni. Go get an apprenticeship. You're probably going to make a heap more money. Nice. It uh, looks like uh, Travis has uh, another um, – would like to chime in here. Yeah. Um, so we saw compression or I'd almost say stagnation in jobs. So – uh, they weren't coming in at the pace that they normally did. And that went on for quite some time. And then the floodgates hit. So, you know, as the mass restri- restrictions started to drop, so that compression came in and then normal business came in. And I, you know, my backlog went four times normal backlog and we battled through that. And then we took about a week and a half breather and we were right back into it. So it was, it was interesting. <laughs> um, so just, just to feel that flow. Yeah. So, so what did you guys do to, uh, you know, tackle that and handle it in a way that you didn't have to just continue pushing projects out? So, so this is ironic enough when we entered into 2008, um, recession, it was economic. I felt strongly that this wasn't an economic. It may result in an economic influence, but it was basically, um, the, the economy was strong going into it. So I felt compelled that as we came out of it, there were no indications from an economic, um, large economic influence. So I was ramping up my outsourced vendors to do drafting. And I was in a good position where I was about 40% over my normal workload. And we were already vetting and training those outsourced vendors. And as that came in, we were able to engage them. So hindsight, I don't know what you want to call it. I'd, re- I'd lean towards luck. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so we got through it. Nice. So you, you mentioned outsourcing. Um, 
Mm-hmm. What other things did you, what sort of things did you outsource? Well, our business model is that we, we outsource, um, a very high percentage of our drafting. So all of, well, I should say all, but very high percentage is, um, done outside of, of the organization as subcontractors. Okay. And then, so do you have other crews that do installation? How, how do you handle uh, that side of things? Um, so our install group is uh, actually employees of the company. Okay. So we kept them on throughout as, as employees. Um, I were large enough. I don't know if we had any significant layoffs or anything of that nature. Uh, we did have some slowdowns depending on job sites and in different conditions. Yeah, yeah well, I wasn't sure if maybe after having that that boom of uh, backlog projects coming to the to the forefront, if if maybe outsourced any of the installation. But it sounds to me like uh, you were able to tackle that. Uh, well, we have longer lead projects, uh, larger, uh, maybe two year on average uh, duration. So that probably has yet to hit, quite honestly. Okay. So there's still a potential for some more backlog of uh, projects to to slam you again, huh? Yeah, from an operations perspective, uh, they'll have they'll have their hands full. (laughs) (laughs) What about anybody else? Does anybody else, um, you know, are are they outsourcing any of their procedures, uh, whether it's drafting? uh, installation. Uh, love to uh, to hear how how others might be handling the same situation. Um, yeah, I mean we're a similar boat. We actually have uh, a team that we've been partnering with. A lot of them are actually on this call down in uh, South America that are helping us with drafting, uh, and so we've been you know, kind of integrating them and getting them up to speed with our team on the front end. So um, helping with uh, a number of our business processes as well and, and takeoffs and things, but definitely primarily heavily in drafting. And so um, the stuff we talked about earlier has helped a lot, being able to have SOPs for importing and exporting and, and merging projects from them um, and getting them trained in our processes and stuff. Um Obviously, we we are we outsourced install and some things like that beforehand, so there's still some of that that we do on the back end as well. All right, and then I mean USA Millwork, you guys are all over all over the country. Um, I'm sure you guys have probably faced uh, your own kind of backlog of of projects. Um, what kind of challenges yeah. did you guys have to overcome there? We have manufacturing locations actually in five different. Uh, spots in the states and so one of our biggest one um, one of our biggest is in the bay area in california which uh early on went like really under hyper lockdown for a while and so we there our facility actually had to shut down except for healthcare projects unless we were working on healthcare projects we had to send everybody home so they actually shut down for a good month everything was in lockdown there but what we were actually able to do is we had some East Coast healthcare projects that were going on at that point that we moved the manufacturing out there so that we were able to keep um, most of those people in the shop working by having them work on those healthcare projects. Um, and uh, so we were able to kind of shuffle work around to everywhere else we were 
considered essential and able to kind of keep going based on that, except for that one facility. Um, so we're able to kind of move our priorities work and also a lot of work like in the, uh, uh, I mean, at the time, you know, we do a lot of work for Google and Facebook, all that stuff. They just kind of shut down and even projects we had signed, they put on pause when things first hit with COVID. So we pulled other work forward and reprioritized some other stuff, took some quick turn stuff. Um, you know, unfortunately here in the States, at least there's lots of newer companies that have either folded or gone under or, you know, passed on work that they were going to take before. So that's presented opportunities for us to go after other jobs that like, you know, GCs all of a sudden needed a mill worker to do that they thought they had. Um, and I think for us, it's kind of been shifting our priorities where we might've been mostly working on has a lot more hospitality type stuff. A lot of that stuff dried up early on for the first six, eight months. So we shifted to definitely healthcare and government work for a while. Um, at least what we were selling because, you know, at least here in the States, that stuff continued to be funded, especially healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it sounds to me, um, just kind of as we've gone through these conversations that they're really the, the hardest hit, uh, industry was the commercial millwork side of things. Um, and I know that hasn't been the case everywhere when it comes to residential. I know residential in a lot of areas has skyrocketed. I know for myself, uh, when I was, you know, having to stay home and, and not come into work, I got a lot of stuff done at my house. Um, and, and I had a lot of projects, you know, now that I have kind of lined up that I'd like to complete. So for those in the residential market, um, you know, how, how have you guys been able to kind of handle the boom in, in your areas? Because that's, that's not something that a lot of people or a lot of other companies have experienced. So when you say boom, is that the, an industrial boom or is that a boom in the jobs that your wife has lined up for you to do? <laughs> I can comment on that. Massive increase. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, it's yeah, it's the same way. I've I've got a boom of projects at home, but um, no, I, I know talking with the others in the industry, I mean, really residential has has kind of taken off in in a lot of areas, um, and yeah, I'd be interested to know how they're they're handling the workload. Are they you know outsourcing? Um, like has been mentioned before, or what are they what are they doing there? Well, well, maybe let, let's transition into something a little bit different, but along the same lines. Have you, has anybody seen an increase in maybe needing to change up the way they do their business as far as providing do-it-yourself uh, projects or flat packing projects and sending that out to their customers to assemble and install themselves? Anything like that? See, uh, uh, hi guys. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm from Counter Products. We're in New Zealand. Um, so we've obviously experienced a high increase of order requests and everything. And 
the way we've sent out a lot of our flat packed orders in the past is through crates and a lot of the material we use for that is just the uh, the cover sheets we get when we order and stock board from our suppliers like Laminex or Bestwoods or whoever. Um, and with that increase, the, the cover sheets just started not being enough. So we've ended up having to actually start incorporating, uh, like just buying stocks of just plain utility MDF to actually build the crates now. Um, that, that's, that's been a big change for us, the way we package. So we've started having to, include that in our pricing as well now and it's it's, it's a bit tricky to try calculate the other flat packing because obviously your width and your depth is the easiest you just take your deepest part and your widest uh your widest part as well uh but it's trying to figure out that height you know it's almost trying to make an equation uh based on your nesting sheets you know but um yeah so it's been a bit of eyeballing it coming to when you when you price up for your crates um but other than that, um, yeah, that's that's probably been one of the biggest changes when it comes to our packaging, is that yeah we've had to start incorporating that. Right. Um. So with with that, I mean, you you mentioned you you've seen an increase. I mean, what what kind of increase are are you talking about here? Uh, pretty. I, I couldn't give you an exact number, but it's um we've definitely had had a lot more requests just flooding through. Obviously, um, people haven't been able to travel or anything like that, so they just started putting all this money into house renovations and everything. I mean, uh, it's, it's not just the amount of jobs that have increased. It's also, like, the frequency, uh, how many wardrobes they're actually doing, for example. Um, they may be doing a whole house, how, how much they're wanting to put into these wardrobes. I mean, you'd have customers before that were just going pretty basic, just doing shelves and hanging and all that and now they want to go for this real fancy bespoke european type stuff and you, you get these requests and you're like oh wow <laughs> and so I, I remember there was this one job um just before we went into our first lockdown these customers had me drop and it took me about eight hours to put together this one master bedroom wardrobe for them um but yeah no um de- definitely there's, a, there's become a lot more involved and just a lot more to do um, I mean, we've, we've definitely experienced quite quite a high increase in, in requests um, because of um, that tra- that travel restriction and everything. Just people putting their money elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and that's that's interesting because you know I, I think to myself, you know, it, I'm sure we'll we'll probably see maybe some some startup companies. Um, going more this flat pack route, especially, you know, if, if, if you could set it up where, you know, you've maybe got, um, an area where somebody could maybe design what they want their closet to look like, you cut it out, flat pack it, ship it out to them. Man, that, that'd be pretty slick. I'd be down for something like that. And I thought I saw Travis's hand pop up again. Travis, did you, uh, yeah, yeah, I can chime in a bit. So years ago, we used to, um, we actually used to ship quite a bit. So I had created a material, uh, to ride along with the product, so to speak. And, but my cut sheet was actually my pallet size. So it gave me kind of like a best fit condition, a nested pallet, if you would. So my guys in shipping had at least a ballpark on how to assemble those pallets so you can get a good utilization of your, your shipping and, and again, you don't have to go out to the warehouse and guide them. You're kind of like, hey, you know, here's your packing slip and how to build your crating. 
And with that, I also uh, would cut bill the crating um, so we could ship uh, LTL. So again, here's your here's your crating. Here's what goes in the crate and out the door. Kind of a one nice. one stop. Yeah, that's kind of a, an interesting concept. So did did you kind of nest it twice? Is that what you're saying? Like you you yeah. nest it once for cutting yeah. out, nest it again just on those pallet so, sizes? That's- yeah, so you had a pack or a pallet material uh, to maintain your three quarter thickness, and then it would optimize to your to your crating or to your pallet size. So you'd have a number of sides, cross rails, things of that nature. Yeah, that's that's really cool. <clears throat> and I thought I saw another hand pop up and didn't get a chance to to say anything. I don't know if they uh, are still. Wanting to share, yeah, Nigel. Uh, hi, everyone from New Zealand. Um, yeah, we've just been completely uh, slammed uh, with work and um, finding staff um, to to do the work has has been a real uh, a real nightmare. Um, probably the only uh, benefit uh, with the quoting and uh, submitting work we've done a lot of the drawings and they're ready for processing they're just sitting on the sitting on the computer computer ready ready to be uh sort of the final detailing and processed um but we we closed uh basically for new work through to christmas already um and that's purely based on um the amount of staff we had to had to do um and i was me and a co-worker were both drawing um, I'd do the final processing and then spend, you know, two days cutting it out and edging it just to keep, just to try and keep ahead of the boys. Um, and we couldn't find, uh, contractors to do installs. So we were slammed with doing the installs ourselves and trying to juggle that with getting things through and keeping them processed, um, while having enough staff to keep it, get them assembled <laughs> was, was a real nightmare. I think there's uh, been a lot of that case uh, here in New Zealand. Jobs uh, like um, uh, one of the fellow uh, speakers said, um, jobs expanding from uh, just wanting a simple wardrobe to wardrobes and uh, with drawers in it. Now I want a, a desk in the corner so I can work from home and just re-quoting and the value just going through the roof sometimes with, with what they want. And with what they expect. Yeah, it sounds like that's a, at least a good problem that has come out of this, right? <laughs> For sure. So, uh, I'm I'm curious. You said you're you're also installing a lot of this stuff. Um, what what kind of regulations um, or challenges do you face? You know, going into other people's homes to install. I mean, what, what kind of uh, protocols are in, do you have to follow to be able to do that? Well, we've got a sort of a four stage level of the lockdown. We're in sort of complete lockdown at this moment as of the last sort of week and a half. Um, but we're not actually permitted to go onto sites unless it's deemed essential, um, until what we call like level two. Um, and we can't go back to work until level three, but we can't have 
customer interaction. Don't quote me on that. I'm sort of just the, <laughs> my understanding of it. Um, so at that point, it's quite quite tricky um, with the guy who does all the coding, the um, the boss. Uh, he can't go out and quote until it's it's level two. So at the moment, he's actually trawling through his backlogs of uh, quotes to get out. Um, so that's keeping him busy. But that means we've probably got uh, next year's work sorted out as well. Yeah, so you're about to hit that uh, that backlog of work we were just talking about where you have more projects than uh, than you probably know how to handle. We always said it's it's better to be looking at work than looking for it. That's right. There's so much happening, and it's it's from the people in, in our initial area, the work's flying over from one place, they can't take it, then you know, we take it or we'll pass it on to someone else. It's it's really just all customers calling from shop to shop, trying to find who can get it. Can we get this in by Christmas? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not until uh not until things ease up, right? All right. Um, well, I know we're, we're down to our last uh, few minutes here. Um, I, I, w- I would like anybody who has any questions, uh, you know, unmute yourself. Let uh, let those questions fly. Let's see what we can uh, get answered for you. I don't know if the questions I've asked have been informative enough for what you're looking for. So if if they haven't been at this point, um, let's keep the conversation going and, and see what we've got. Hi, it's Kevin here. Can you hear me? We can. <laughs> I'm from New Zealand, uh, Breeze Furniture. We've um, been in lockdown, and we're looking at uh, getting into a lot more of the flat pack areas for builders. But what we're looking for is something that they can send us a cut list that automatically goes straight into our uh, microvellum, so it sets us up to run it straight away. All right. Does anybody, yeah, anybody uh, in this meeting that might have some advice for for Kevin on on how to accomplish that? Hey James, this is Jesse. How you doing? Doing well, Jesse. How are you? Just a response to that. Um, I've done a couple of customers in California that have pre or like pre existing customers that do order entering. And one thing they should really look into, and I think you can probably find it on the forums, is spreadsheet entries. To look at the spreadsheet, it's, it, it is an, a plugin, but it is very powerful, and I've seen it used, and it's really awesome with microvellum. So look into that. I would just give my two cents on that one. But the spreadsheet entry, it, it is a plugin, so you'll have to talk to your AM about it. But look into that. Um, this customer actually had just special parts. You have to have a library that matches whatever it is that you're the nomenclature for the products. But if that nomenclature works with the imports, we're able to map that really well with microphone. Awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, Kevin, I hope that, that helps and gives you uh, something to, to research and look into. Hey, James, it's Tim here, mate. I might just add to that. But, um, yeah, so what Jesse, uh, Jesse mentioned was spot on there. So there's uh, Excel import. 
you can find the sample uh, on our website for that. And the other option is microvillain server, uh, which we've got a couple of customers running. So basically you can have, you know, your website all set up and sort of even capture like all of the information on the website. And then you can actually pass that through in an Excel format and have that hit a folder on your server. And then microvillain server will import that directly into toolbox as a project and sort of create the room. It'll populate you know, all of those cabinets, all the sizes from your website directly into that, um, into that project, into those cabinets. Uh, we've got a couple of, uh, customers running that in Adelaide and actually in Auckland, you know, quite successfully for sure, which is pretty cool. Um, it can even go to the extent where it'll actually optimize it and send it directly out to the CNC and create all the work order information too. Awesome. So, Kevin, I uh, hope uh, the information that was just uh, shared will give you some insight. Sound like you can probably also reach out to Tim as well to get a little more uh, information on on how that is working for those those customers that uh, are down in Auckland. So, uh, thank you, Tim, for that. I want to say too, on, on top of that, that'd be a great question to put on the actual community forum. And for everyone that's not involved with this today, the more activity we can get going on that, the better as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I think we'll, uh, we'll probably call this event, um, complete. Uh, just want to, uh, thank everybody for uh, joining in today and participating. Um, I just want to, before I forget, anyway, um, announce too that we do have a schedule over the next couple of months uh, where we are having weekly events. So if you want to find out more about that, you can go to our website, go to our community forums, uh, follow us on LinkedIn to um, to get updated on that that information. I believe next week, uh, Wednesday, or sorry, I guess it'd be Thursday uh, for Australia, and New Zealand. Um, nine o'clock a.m. Uh, Australian Eastern Time. Uh, Matt Davies will be uh, demonstrating some of the enhancements and improvements that have been made to the uh, closet or wardrobe library. Um, so, so stay stay in tune with that. Uh, join that event if you are interested in that. Um, our next exchange event in. September will be uh, targeted more towards the UK uh, time zone. But uh, if you guys are diehard and want to jump in on that, uh, I don't know what time that'd be for you guys there, but uh, you'd either be up early or going to bed really late, uh, one or the other. Um, and yeah, I guess just uh, unless any anyone has anything else to add. Um, ah, wait, I just remembered too, we have... Um, we're in the planning stages of an engineering and design um, competition. Uh, still kind of hashing out all the details on that, but I know we're planning on having three judged categories and then a People's Choice Award. And the winners of those different categories uh, will win a cash prize. So, <clears throat> again, uh, follow us on LinkedIn. Check us out on our uh, 
community forums and stay stay tuned and what's to come with that. I'm I'm excited to see uh what we can what we can see from uh our users across the world. Um with that being said, uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Again, just want to thank everybody for joining today. Um thanks for participating in our Micromelum Exchange event and we will see y'all next time.